Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening we're going to be in 2 Kings 4. The last time we saw God save Israel and Judah, we talked about salting our relationships, how we're to be salt, how we influence and affect others. Two Sundays ago, the message was dynamic influence, showing that influence, we're either at any point in time moving towards God or away from God. Hopefully on a midweek service, as we go through the Word, we're continuing to move towards God. Uh, Today, we're going to see five miracles of Elisha and what they represent. And, you know, especially for those of you that are new that came out this evening, um, what better service to walk into in church when we're talking about miracles? So miracles are the type of subject that can lift anybody's spirits. Um, Just taking a break from the hustle and bustle of the holidays to just settle our hearts and just see what the Lord has for us this evening. So we're going to jump in in chapter 4. It says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, this is Elisha the prophet, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all of your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not just gather a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons will live on the rest. So the first miracle we see is the miracle of the increase of the widow's oil. Now a few things are happening. She's married. She has a husband. He's one of the sons of the prophets. And he dies. And he, you know, you can deduced that he gave his life to the service of the Lord. He was in ministry. Um, He wasn't obviously out to make a fortune because when he passed, the woman, there was debts that had to be paid. So, you know, what the creditors would say, well, your sons, can they look strong and healthy, need to come and if you want to pay off this debt and you don't have the money, they can work it off, so to speak. And, And that's what they did back then. So she's desperate. She cries out to Elisha, the prophet, and he has a plan. His plan is to do a miracle and to pay bills with this multiplied oil that God multiplies. And let's look at the details. There's a few things in this. It's very interesting. We find out that uh, as we go through the scripture, maybe if you're new to the Bible, that priests and prophets had families. They were married. They had children. It was normal. It is normal. Um, Actually, today, to force somebody to stay unmarried when they want to raise a family in ministry, it doesn't make any sense. It's just a natural thing. Some people are single, and that's great, but it shouldn't be forced. Uh, we see this all throughout the Scripture. Two, what we find is even those in ministry have their trials. They have their tribulations. 
Um, you know, we struggle too, <laughs> and people need to realize that. You know, it's, not, it's really a downer if somebody comes up to the pulpit every Sunday and is whining about their problems. That's not something that we would do or would want to do, but to understand that we have trials just like everybody else. You know, it's important for people to understand that. Three, all this woman had in her house was a jar of oil. Okay, she's got oil and a jar, and that's it. And Elisha goes, well, we can work with that. I paraphrase a lot. But what we see is that God meets us where we are in life. You know, I mean, he couldn't ask her to do something extraordinary. She, was, she had no husband, she was poor, and this is all she had left. Uh, so God does meet us where we are. There's a lot of interesting things that we can take away from this thousands of years later. Four, these had to be empty vessels. Now, in the scripture, oil was always a picture of the Holy Spirit, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, so these vessels, you can make the, the comparison to us, you know, that when God uses us, we need to be empty. And he said, go out there, get as many of these vessels as you can find, make sure they're empty. And we use this phrase in Christianity, we want to be empty vessels. Fill us with you, God, so that we go out there, like the, the last worship song, right? The glory is our only reward, the Father's glory, not our glory. And we can't be competing with him for glory. So sometimes we have to empty ourselves in order to be filled with God. That's a, that's a principle. Five, he said, shut the door before the miracle is done. You know, it's amazing. I love to make the comparisons in the New Testament with Jesus. Jesus many times was very discreet. Jesus didn't say, hey, look at me, abracadabra, look what I'm going to make happen. Many of the times, even raising people from the dead, Jesus, or, or, or healing some type of illness, he did it discreetly, he did it quietly, he didn't look to track the tension. It wasn't about the miracles, it was about bringing people to God. So you see the same principle throughout the scripture, and I love that when the Bible agrees with itself. Thousands of years difference. Um, we also see that Six, the woman had to be a part of the solution. She had to act on her faith. You know, some today are lazy in their faith. They just want to sit around on the couch and expect God to just start showering blessings to them in their living room while they're sitting on the couch. And I know I make a little bit of an exaggeration, but, you know, God wants us to be part of the, the relationship with him. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and the woman's actions prove that she trusted God. Uh, the number of vessels gathered was proportional to her faith. And even towards the end, they went to all these neighbors. And she said, was there any more vessels? And the son says, Mom, that's it. <laughs> this is the last one. So this woman really had faith. She believed that God was going to fill all those empty vessels. And he did. And then seven, when the oil stopped, or when the vessels stopped coming, so did the oil. And again, Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to us by extension, he says, the Father will give you as much of the Holy Spirit as you ask for. Was one of the things I prayed for um, during corporate prayer before our, our message started. Lord, just fill us with your Holy Spirit. God wants to be within us. He wants to work with us. He wants to work alongside of us. Um, he wants to lead us, and it's a great thing to be a part of that. I guess my question is, if it was you or I, how many vessels would we gather? You know? <laughs> how much faith do we have? You know, I mean, gee, today we could go to, we could go to any of these Kmart or Walmart and just take all the Tupperware off the shelves 
We, we, you know, we could pack up all these, you know, fill up our shopping carts. <laughs> I'm getting all these empty vessels. Lord, you're going to fill these, right? We're going to be texting our friends. Bring over some, some em- empty jars and glass and plastic. And, and God, is, he keeps his word. He says he's going to do something. He's going to do it. Now, it does appear that, that she was faithful in that respect, and, and she tried to get every single vessel that she could find. First miracle that we see this evening is what does this represent? God supplies our needs. She had a need. Today in American culture, sometimes we confuse and we blur the lines between wants and needs. You know, I need this. Is it really a need list or is it a want list? But the truth is that God supplies our needs. And when we can differentiate between the two, it helps us with our faith more because we don't have expectations on him that are just unreasonable. He will supply our needs. We continue. Verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem. And there was a notable woman. And she constrained him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by that he turned in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall. Let us put a bed for him. There, and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be. Whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there, and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to, he, and he said to him, to Gehazi, Now say to her, Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on behalf of the king or the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, well, what there is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. And he said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son, a baby boy. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. And the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. The second miracle is the birth, the miraculous birth, of the Shunammite woman's son. So you have this story where um, she and her husband live in an area where Elisha does a lot of ministry. He goes back and forth, back and forth. She sees him, she has discernment, she knows that he's a good man. And she's moved. She's selfless. She's, you know, she says to her husband, basically, maybe he's a carpenter. Maybe he's good with his hands. Let's fix up this room. We have some extra space because he, I always see him back and forth, back and forth. Maybe he needs to take a rest. In Matthew ten forty one, Jesus speaks about reaping a reward for receiving a prophet. When God's ministry is supported, God blesses the supporters. At some point, Elisha is moved, most likely by the Holy Spirit, to want to do something for her. And eventually, they hit on something. And it really, it hits a nerve with her. He mentions the son and listen to her reaction. Please don't lie to me. Please don't tease me. It shows two things. Number one, for whatever reason, they couldn't have a son or maybe they didn't have any children at all. Um, The second thing is that It was a dramatic statement for her to say, don't lie. Now, she knew he was a good man. I believe at this point her emotions take over. 
You know, something is brought up to her, a desire that's deep in her, her heart, and she's like, no, 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 don't tease me with that. Don't go there. It's amazing. But God knows the desires of our heart, right? He knew that it was something that she desired and maybe something that she needed. And, and her attitude is, don't, don't tease me. I mean, I'll be devastated if this doesn't come to pass. So it shows you that even the godliest people still struggle with their faith. She should have just, look, she knows he was a good guy. She set up the whole room for him. You should, should, should believe everything that he says, but her emotions now start to take over. Let me just say this, and something that I had come up with, I'm going to say it twice. Some people are so prideful, they think they deserve everything. Some people are so broken that they don't think they deserve anything. Let me say that again. The world is really divided into limited camps. Some are so prideful, they think they deserve everything. Some are so broken, they don't think they deserve anything. And I believe that she fit into the second camp. And this was a son. Oh, she just would have loved to have a son. And she was blessed with a son. In her older age, think about Sarah and Abraham. You think about Mary, the miraculous, you know, uh, conception of Jesus. Right? You see a lot of these, these layers in here. And of course, in verse 17, she has the son. And you see the reciprocity in the, the ministers and the ministered too, right? There's this reciprocal, it's a mutual blessing. Sadly, today in Western culture, many people come to church to, and in, in their minds are, what can I get out of this place? Do I like the music? Do I like the preaching? You know, um, do I like the size of the church? And a lot of people are a blessing to the ministry, but some are just thinking about what they can get out of the church. They have the same way with God. It's a one-way relationship, and they wonder why their prayers aren't answered because they're just out to use God. God knows the difference between whether we're looking to just always get something from Him or we really desire His companionship. You know, And, and it's a beautiful thing to have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. So the second miracle represents God as the giver, as the creator of life. Right? There's an obstruction, there's a problem with the, his parts or her parts. Well, God fixes it, and this child is born, and even further on in years. Verse 18, we continue. Don't worry, it has a happy ending. So it's going to get a little tough here, okay? But if you haven't read this by the end, it's, it gets really good. <laughs> So the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. He's out in the field. He's working with dad. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid on the bed of the man of God, laid him, the boy, on the bed of the man of God that they prepared shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither new moon or the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. It's fine. Just do it. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. They probably... She was a lady. She was probably older in years, and, you know, they didn't want to make it too much of a bumpy ride. She's like, don't worry about me. Just get me over to the man of God. i got to go. So she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. 
And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there is the Shunammite woman. Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered to Gehazi to go back to Elisha, It is well. So he goes, you, you have her, you have Elisha, you have Gehazi is in the middle. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me. He has not told me. And she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to him to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awakened. So three, what we're going to see, and we don't see it right now, I don't want to take too much chunk at a time, uh, but the third is the miracle of the Shunammite son resurrection. We're going to see that. So the boy grows and he's at the age where he can go help his dad out in the field and he starts screaming, my head, my head. Could have been sunstroke, it could have been an aneurysm that burst, it could, I mean, we can speculate but we don't know. So the father, maybe he had an obligation to finish what he was doing, he sends his servant, bring the boy to, the, to mom, and she's comforting him and no doubt praying for him, and, uh, and he dies. Imagine the grief. Remember, this isn't a, a, a fairy tale. This actually happened. And what I like to do when I'm reading this is put myself in the position of the people that are going through this. And it's a heartbreaking story, and it just gets worse. Then she puts her boy in Elisha's room and then he goes, she goes to find Elisha. And then the husband is like, what's going on? Well, everything's well. You get the impression that this woman and her husband had a different measure of faith. That maybe if dad saw that his son died, he just would have prepared to bury him. But mom wasn't taking no for an answer. Mom had a, it appears to have a greater faith than her husband. Right? By her actions, she's preparing the boy for resurrection, not burial. Two different mindsets going on here. This is powerful. This is powerful. We read about three resurrections that Jesus did in the Gospels. Who'd have thought that they would have ever witnessed the resurrection? You know? But God is amazing. Jesus was amazing. The woman also tells Gehazi, she doesn't want to tell him either. She goes, It is well. She doesn't want to tell him of the tragedy. In addition, when she gets close to Elisha, he goes to push her aside. He doesn't have the, com the compassion or the discernment to see that this woman is distraught and he shouldn't be brushing her aside. He also is instructed to heal the boy, but he can't. You know, we're going to talk more about Gehazi in the next chapter. He's an example of somebody who's in ministry for the wrong reasons. Or maybe somebody who starts out in ministry and goes bad, right? And people do this for a variety of reasons. Why do people get into ministry? Some want power, some want attention, some want control, some want authority. Some can't make it in the world, so they try to make it 
in ministry, but their disingenuousness eventually bleeds through. And if, I, I believe, including myself, we've all, if you've been in, in the church long enough, the aggregate church, you'll run into people who are not there for the right reasons. And I think what's really amazing, too, is that the best ministry leaders have Gehazi's. Elisha was one of the greatest prophets around. Did he not see this? Or did God withhold it? Or did God... Well, we, we'll go through that next chapter. <laughs> you have to wait for that one. I don't want to confuse the issue of what's going on here. But it is possible that Elisha senses something negative and sends Gehazi, take the staff, put it on the boy's face. He senses something, possibly. It doesn't happen, and it just confirms in his mind that Gehazi is not there for the right reasons. And we'll see that next chapter. But this woman is a godly woman. I believe from everything we read, we see that. She's a woman of faith. She's a godly, of, a godly woman. But even the godliest of people have tragedy. This is devastating to her. Even the godliest people can lash out when they have tragedy. Her words were not kind to Elisha. But can we blame her? She's going through something right now. You know? and, and her attitude was, I told you not to tease me with a son. I didn't ask for a son. You said I would have one, and now you take him away. And sometimes this is the attitude that people have towards God. They get frustrated. They don't understand. They don't understand His will. They don't understand why things happen. You know, This woman is a reflection of all of us when we, when we have struggles, when we have tragedy. And they, she blamed Elisha. You know, people blame God. They'll blame the pastor. They'll blame anybody who is somewhat representing God because they're frustrated and they're hurt. You know, um, imagine the journey. You know, so first she's holding the boy. The boy dies in her arms, puts the boy on the bed, gets on the donkey and says to the servant, just go as fast as possible. And... Could you imagine that trail of suffering that she went on? All the tears that flowed from her face as she's riding that donkey. Sometimes waiting on God can be very, very difficult. You know, His timing is not our timing. I'll raise my hand and say, I haven't always enjoyed waiting on God. I love Him, but I don't understand sometimes. But we're humans. We're not always going to understand. Verse 27, Elisha says, the Lord hid this from me. That's powerful. You know, as in, in ministry, sometimes the Lord is not going to reveal everything to us. And I look at it this way. Again, I'm trying to see the good in everything. I think it just keeps us humble as men and women who are in ministry. We don't know everything. God doesn't show us everything. He shows us a lot of really neat stuff. He does miracles through us, but, you know, it's... I think sometimes we just have to stay humble and just keep staying close to Him. Probably if everything was revealed to us, we might become prideful. We continue, verse 32. And when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Smart man. The first thing he does is pray to God. Right? Sometimes we see a tragedy, and if we're a type A personality or we're in, we're in you know, uh, the medical field or first responders, jump right into it. First thing we need to do, maybe while we're jumping right into it, is to be praying. 
because ultimately God's going to be the one, especially when it comes to life and death. And he went up and he lay on the child. And he, this is amazing, he put his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her and when she came in to him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, and she picked up her son and went out. Amazing. We saw something similar in 1 Kings 17 with Elijah. He did the same thing when bringing somebody back to life. And, you know, in, in, in those days, a hot climate, the body starts to decompose compose quickly. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he was dead four days. And even the sisters said, Lord, by now there's a stench because he wanted the stone removed so he could call Lazarus out and bring him back to life. Reality. And didn't, it didn't phase Elijah. Listen, as somebody who's a first responder for many years, I've seen a lot of death. I've seen a lot of dead bodies. And um, done CPR. I've seen the lividity. I've seen the rigor mortis. Death is, is horrible. Um, if you've never seen that and you've only seen somebody in a funeral parlor, there's a part that you've really missed. And I'm not saying in a good way. But it really gives you context. It gives you filler. And here he is. It's a man of compassion. He puts his mouth to the child's mouth. He lays on him. It doesn't seem to work the first time. The kid's warm. Maybe from Elisha's body heat, he gets up. He starts walking back and forth. He does it again. You know what I love about this? You see that Elisha was not a god. He was a man. We're just men and women that are just trying to do the Lord's will and give Him the glory. I just found this powerful. Eventually, the kid starts sneezing. Chew, 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 seven times. <laughs> I don't know, seven's the number of perfection. Can we answer everything that the Bible talks about? No. It's fun to read, though. It's fun to speculate. Third miracle represents God's ability to resurrect. God's ability to resurrect. Remember, Jesus came in the first century. You ask 100 people, why did Jesus come? You'll get maybe 50 different answers. Jesus came to reconcile us back to God. He came to show us the way to heaven. The miracles were great. The teachings were great. The teachings helped us to understand that reconciliation. Jesus came so that all of mankind would be saved. Men and women would be, sinful human flesh would be redeemed and brought back as prodigals back to the Father, the Creator. So, God has the ability to resurrect spiritual life and also physical life. What we see too is the miracle of the birth and the resurrection of Jesus in these last two miracles. Pretty amazing. These were harbingers. These were um, pointing to what was going to happen in the first century when Christ came. Verse 38. And Elisha returned to Gilgal, 
and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said to his servant, put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Let's eat. My favorite time of the day. So one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. So he said, Then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. So the fourth miracle is the miracle of the deadly stew made safe. And there's a type of cucumber. There's a type of gourd. There's the sin curse brought thorns and thistles and weeds and poisonous things. Oh my. Okay? This is what happens. After Adam and Eve sinned, everything changed. Before, there was no weeds. There was nothing poisonous. Everything was delicious. But when sin entered the world, death entered the world too. But we see that Elisha, the first thing we see, he's among the people. By now, Elisha should be a celebrity, shouldn't he? I mean, after all these miracles, they should have put him out there and said, you can only speak to a crowd of 10,000, Elisha. No, that's not the way he rolled. Today, we, we see a lot of celebrityism in Christianity, but if you look at the Old Testament and New Testament, it really wasn't like that. I love that about Elisha. He was a regular guy. He was just like you and I. God just used him for a great purpose. But what do we know about this? Let's have dinner. You know, let's cook. Everybody do a little something. And apparently they sent out the novice, who wasn't really versed in vegetation, to go out and it's a famine. You know, hey, whatever, that looks good. It's growing. Slice it up, put it in the pot. They tasted this stew. Maybe some got sick. Um, but whatever the issue was, they realized there's this something wrong in here. We can't eat this. Now, you couldn't just dump it and go to the fridge and put it in something in the microwave and start all over again. It didn't work like that. Um, there was a scarcity of food. And the gathering and cooking process took a long time. In our culture, what do we have in Western culture? We have advanced food distribution. We have supermarkets, right? We have stuff that's preserved. We have refrigeration. We have medicine, surgery, technology. And sometimes it puts Westerners in a place, even Western Christians, where we unwittingly rely more on advances than we rely on God. And I think it's something we always have to check in our hearts, you know? I've seen God do amazing things. I've seen God do healings. I've seen Him do things that defy doctors' understandings. It's the God we serve. And there was nothing miraculous about the flower, by the way. It was just the vehicle that God used to do this miracle. Heck, Jesus, um, there was a blind man, and Jesus picked up some dirt and spit in it and mixed it around and made mud. It's a really neat story. And he puts it on the guy's eyes, left and right, and he heals him with that mixture. <laughs> hey, it sounds gross, but if you're blind, you can spit on it. You can do anything you want. Just heal my eyes, you know what I'm saying? So we look in the Scripture, and what it reminds us is that, what it reminds us is that God's going to do what he wants to do. And I really believe that this happens so that we don't get used to a formula, you know? And you see sometimes in religion, do this, bury this upside down, say this prayer, 
oh my goodness, it's on Facebook too. There's stuff going around. You know, I, there was one meme where somebody was holding a whole bunch of hundreds and it said, repost this 10 times and you'll get money. Listen, that's not how God works. You know, share and like this and you'll get a blessing. God wants a relationship with us. That's cheap. You know, that's, it's not even reality. Sorry if some of you have sent that around and <laughs> didn't mean to offend anybody tonight, but that's not the way to have a relationship with God. It's through Jesus Christ, right? I've seen some of your posts. You, you know what I'm saying, and you're like, yeah, this is ridiculous. But it, it's just not. It's not. What the fourth miracle represents is that God removes the curse of sin, right? The poison from the ground. He removed that curse. And maybe the flour was indicative of, well, the flour was made into bread back then, um, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Who's the one who reversed the sin curse? Jesus came. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The perishing came from sin that entered the world. Jesus came and he reversed that. He reversed that. Last few verses. 42. Then a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, Give it to the people that they may eat. And his servant said, probably Gehazi, What? Shall I set this before 100 men? He said again, Give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Doesn't some of this sound familiar to you? <laughs> so the fifth miracle is the miracle of the multiplication of bread. There's 100 men, and there's only 20 loaves and a knapsack of grain, and it's not going to go very far. And Elisha says, give it to them. Gehazi balks. It reminds us of the disciples in the early days when Jesus said, make them sit down, start handing it out. But, but master, we only have a few fish and some loaves. Just, just be obedient to Christ. You know? And then when they did it, like, some movies have done a really great job of the disciples like, looking at the baskets and they're not shrinking and they're overflowing, and then there's stuff left over, and they're thinking, you know, I know math. This, this is not possible. It was a miracle. Of course it's not possible. But, you know, especially back then, a lot of this stuff happened. The people were fed, and they had leftovers. The fifth miracle represents God satisfying the hungry. And again, we can look at this physically. We can also look at this spiritually. I was hungry when I was young in my teens I came from a broken home my early 20s um, just searching I was so hungry as much as I ate food that wasn't the type of hunger that was satisfied and I had a few people talk to me about the Lord I started reading the Bible and the, the rest is history as you know it um, that's a that is a Jesus is the bread of life that's a satisfaction you can only get through Christ you know why am I here what is life all about? What about death? What about, we should be asking these questions because that leads us to the foot of the cross. Christ is like, I took care. I destroyed death. Not only did I die for your sins, but I, was re I resurrected myself and I conquered death. 1 Corinthians 15, powerful. So if we could just look at these now and in a chunk, first miracle, God supplies our needs. 
in the oil. God is the source. Second, God is the giver of life in the birth of the child. God is the creator. Third, God is able to resurrect life. He resurrected the boy. God is the resurrector and the redeemer. Fourth, God removes the curse of sin in the stew. God is the healer. You know, it's, you know what I find in this? Everything that people mess up, God fixes. It's just what he does. He's the great fixer. Fifth, God can satisfy the hungry in the bread. He is the sustainer. And I think what's amazing in this is as we read this, we see a lot of the New Testament here. We see a lot about Jesus. As we read this and we look at the characteristics, the multifaceted characteristics of the God that we serve and worship, it's amazing. You can see Genesis all the way through Revelation in these five miracles, right? You can make so many applications that I probably didn't even do it justice. So another preacher could probably make another 15 applications that I didn't make. So as we go through this, you know what? The reason for the season is Jesus Christ, is Christmas. You know, we just got to be blessed in the Old Testament as well. But it points to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.